Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your co-host, Ralph Velasco. Unfortunately, Ugo can't be with us today. Uh, today's guest is travel photographer, travel blogger, and consummate digital nomad, Sherry Ott. Uh, she's a friend of mine for several years now. Uh, we've gotten to know each other uh, through mutual friends and uh, via a number of groups that we both belong to. And we finally met in person for the first time several years ago when both of us were speaking at TBEX, uh, also known as the Travel Bloggers Exchange, and that was in Spain's Costa Brava in Lloreta Mar, to be exact. Uh, Sherry and I both travel quite a bit, and so often it's difficult to find the time that's uh, good for all of us, but uh, here we are. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to the show, Sherry. How are you and where are you? <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, gosh, I'm doing pretty great. I just finished a nice meal, dinner. So I am actually, uh, I am strangely back in the Costa Brava in Spain um, and specifically in Girona, Spain. So I've been here for about close to a month now, I think, uh, working on a project. But it's really lovely to be here at this time of year. It's really beautiful, beautiful area. That's great. It, it really is a wonderful, wonderful place. And we're going to talk some more about it in just a bit. Um, you know, and looking at your website at otsworld.com, and we'll put a link to the sh in the show notes for sure, uh, on your about page, you very prominently quote author Jean Lacarre, John Lacare, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he says, a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. I love it and you live it. Tell us uh, <laughs> why that quote is something that you wanted to make so prominent on your website. Well, I think because I was a very late bloomer to the world of travel. So I didn't even have a passport until I was 30 years old. And when I was 30, I was already really eight years into working in corporate positions, basically, sitting behind a desk every day. And so, you know, when I finally started to get, when I got that passport and went out for the first time, I actually went to um, Turkey for my first trip out of the country. Um, it really opened my eyes. And I think, you know, I spent so many years behind a desk in a cube working on a computer and having, you know, those crazy old digital wallpapers that would show beautiful sunsets around the world or whatever. And it was just, it was very evident to me that I needed to get out and see it firsthand. So that's probably why it means a lot to me, because I really come from a very, um, what do I want to say, typi typical corporate background. So. Well, I'd like to explore that because uh, you've been on an incredible journey. How did you transition from a corporate job in IT, sitting behind <laughs> that proverbial desk, to traveling the world for more than 10 years full-time as a digital nomad? Oh, man. it First of all, it was never planned, ever. Wow. Uh, yeah, and never in a thousand million years would have I guessed that this is where I would be um, when I left in 2006. So 
what happened was I got my passport when I was 30. I did some travel. I kind of got that bug. Um, I had been climbing the ladder in corporate jobs, uh, moving all over the U.S. for those jobs, and was getting really burned out. And by the time I was 36, um, I just kind of dawned on me that I needed a break. Um, I had been moving and moving for, for jobs, never really taking any time off, and I really wanted to see more of the world, but I couldn't figure out how I could go and do that. So I, <clears throat> I kind of plotted out this plan that I would save up money and take off for what I called a career break uh, for a year. So I basically quit my job and I was going to travel around the world for one year and then come back and figure out what to do with my life. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in IT. I was kind of unsure. And I was at this point where you are in your mid-30s where you go, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? So I thought that this would help. So I took off with the intention of coming back. Um, I also took off with, I did have a DSLR camera actually at the time. Because I knew I was going to travel for a year, I thought, well, I should probably take a photography class. So in the year leading up to me leaving, I actually did take a photography class, a couple of them in New York City before I left. Um, And I bought a DSLR and took off without a lot of knowledge about photography and certainly no knowledge about writing, but I had this little website that I kept so that my family and friends could know where I was and I had a place to put pictures. And that's how it started. Um, How it turned into 12 years, wow, that's a, I don't know if I can condense that into a short story, but basically, um, you know, I got on the road, I loved it, I within about the first three months, I still remember thinking like, I've got to figure out how I can continue this because I knew I didn't want to go back. Um, And then it was just kind of a quest to figure out, well, how can I stay traveling and seeing all these new things every day and new experiences? uh, Because eventually I would run out of money out of my savings. And so I was going to have to figure out how to make money on the road. And back in 2006, 2007, the way to do that was not blogging. (laughs) It really wasn't even photography for me because I wasn't very good at it. Um, It was teaching ESL, English as a Second Language. So I went that route. um, And like year two, I lived in Vietnam. And I I kept on blogging, but I was teaching English. But also I think that's what – that was the area that taught me to be really scrappy. Because once I got to Vietnam and got settled in there, I realized I could do a lot more than teach English – and I started networking, and I had all kinds of different odd jobs and consulting and web stuff and and still blogging. And then it was really just a matter of years of kind of hanging on in a way and continuing to blog and um, really wasn't making a lot of money, but I was doing other odds and ends, consulting in IT, uh, nothing that was making me rich. It was just really just able to get by and continue traveling. But by that time, I had given up my home at that point. So I didn't have rent, much like much like you. Um, and, and that was the other big decision I made, I think, you know, I gave up having a, a home base, so that I could keep traveling and not have to make a lot of money. Because it's, as you well know, often it's cheaper to be on the road when you kind of live this lifestyle than it is to have a home and have to come back to it all the time um, and maintain it. So 
so really it was just years of hanging on and watching the world change digitally and watching businesses change their budgets from print into digital. And here I was positioned very well because I was an early blogger. The blog had popularity. I had an audience. Um, I didn't really know how to make money with it, but that all, you know, I learned that as I went and I networked and I was, you know, knew the right people. And I was there when digital travel started really forming. So I think because of my business background that helped and because I was a little bit older, that probably also helped. Um, and just started really kind of turning it into a professional business. And I would say maybe, let's see, it was maybe about 2011, 2012 is when I actually started making a living blogging is what I would say. So it took a good five years of just kind of being scrappy and getting by, um, which I think I still am pretty scrappy and just getting by. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it feels different, a little bit different now. The, the work is a little bit more regular, obviously. Um, you know, people have budgets now for it. Uh, it was a lot of bartering back in the early days. So, so that's kind of how it all came about. And I just, it's grown and grown. The photography has gotten better. My writing has gotten much better. Um, I've learned about SEO and all kinds of things, you know, that you need to run a blog and be successful. So... Uh, to step back, uh, you talked about uh, base being based in Vietnam for a period mm -hmm. of time. Uh, where in Vietnam was that? Oh, I was in Ho Chi Minh City. Okay. For the year, yeah. Yeah, I would because that's quite a base for digital oh. nomads now, right? It is now, but I tell you what, Not when I was time. there, so it was 2008 to 2009, and um, no, I knew no one there. The word digital nomads was just starting to be used, and everyone was in Chiang Mai, Thailand. That's what I remember. And I was, like, hanging out in Saigon, and I thought it was the best place ever, which fits my personality because I always, always like to be different. I don't want to be where anyone else is. So it worked out really well. Um, but, yes, now it is a very popular base, yeah. I would say. So it's cheap. <laughs> You're ahead of your time, huh? Yes, uh, it's my eternal problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and it can be a problem, you know. Uh, I know what you mean because yeah. uh, you can be too far ahead of the curve and you're saying that, uh, you know, some of these things weren't even really talked about yet and here you are trying to uh, make a living from them a little bit in, in front of the curve and then it sounds like things sort of caught up and uh, you were part of that and maybe yeah. helped and to you to ride the wave a little bit. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good description. I was ahead of the curve, but at the same time, I often think if I were to start this now, I would get nowhere. Like it, at some point also timing is everything and being being there first or being there early is actually way more beneficial, I think, in many ways. Um, it also allowed me to build a lot of like personal relationships with people in the travel industry who were starting to get into digital or you know, d destinations who are interested in digital. And, you know, that has helped me to this day. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm here in Costa Brava today working um, from relationships that I made very early on, basically. So that's a huge part of it is networking. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like you say, 
but uh, now these destinations have budgets where before they didn't even know that they needed a budget for that kind no. of marketing, right? So, you know, you're ahead of the curve there, but now, so I'm wondering, do you feel like maybe it's too late for people that want to get into travel blogging that, uh, you know, that, I think you have to have a different reason. Um, so you have to have a different motivation. Your motivation has to be really clear. My motivation back then was simply to stay on the road. It was simply to continue traveling. And it was to get other people interested in seeing the world, much like I was kind of a late bloomer to that. I wanted to be, I wanted other people to wake up and see what I saw. Um, and so all of my drive was around staying on the road and getting people to travel which meant none of my drive was around like really a business plan. So <laughs> so that worked for me back then because I could get away with that. But now I think if you get into it, your drive really has to be that you're starting a business and you're going to run it as a business from day one. If you try to get into travel blogging, I, I probably can't speak as much about travel photography, you would know, but you know now just because solely because you love it, and you don't really have a plan, you're probably not going to get anywhere. Um, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's starting early can be good. Um, it can also be bad in some ways, but, but yeah, I think it's pretty hard now. The, the market is, or the, you know, the, the playing field is really saturated now and you have to really know your stuff and you really have to know, I think one of the most important things is it doesn't even matter how good of a writer you are or sometimes how good of a photographer you are. It matters how much you understand how the web works and how much you can market and pitch yourself and be in a business and understand business and business goals. Yeah, and no, I, I completely agree. I think marketing is the key to it all. Certainly McDonald's mm -hmm. doesn't have the best hamburgers, <laughs> but uh, they probably have the best marketing. Yep. Uh, so uh, it, it was 12 years that you were on the road for full time. Is that right? Uh, about for, 11 and a half 11 before. And a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so recently you decided to come off the road full time uh -huh. and now you've got a real home in, in Denver. Is that right? Yes, I do. It's a very small home. It's a tiny little studio apartment, it's yours, but it is a right? place I call home. Yes. <laughs> uh, what <laughs> brought exciting. you? What brought you to that huge decision? Uh, you know, oh. when it seems that you were living the life that most people can only dream about. You know, it. Yeah, it was a very hard decision because you're absolutely right. Everyone, every single person you meet, and I'm sure they say this to you too, when you tell them what you do and you tell them your lifestyle. Every single person goes, oh, my God, you've got my dream job, you know, and you've you in some ways you kind of start to feel obligated to live that out in a strange way because um, you hear that so often. But and that for me must, and that it must be oh, great to be on vacation for 11 all the and a half years. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you, so you'll understand this. I mean, oh, yeah. you know how hard it is to run a business on the road constantly when you're moving constantly and I think you know the more I got into this is trying to make a living out of it and running it as a business I realized that you know this wasn't just something I did kind of on the side anymore like this was my business and this was how I was going to make a living and savings and all that and so it became quite challenging um, I think one of the reasons I probably about three years prior had knew probably when I met you, um, knew that 
I needed a, I was needing a home base. Um, my problem was I couldn't figure out where that should be because the other problem with having this carefree lifestyle is, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and that's a paralyzing decision to make when you start to think about like, where am I going to call home? So I sat on it and became quite miserable actually until I finally am just like, I've got to do something. I've got to make a decision. But I think, you know, the main reason why I needed to get off the road or I needed not because I'm not off the road at all, but I, I needed to get a home base was primarily, there are a couple of reasons. Primarily it was because I needed roots again. I needed a community. I needed roots. I needed some sanity of going back to the same place for a little bit. Most people have a very low tolerance for doing what you and I do, living in a different place constantly, different beds, different environments, you know. Um, I used to say the only thing certain was uncertainty in my life. And you that becomes the norm, which is really strange. Um, but I also think it becomes really hard because you don't have any roots anymore. And thank goodness for digital because we can talk to people easier now than I could back in 2006 when I started. But still, it's it wasn't enough. Um, and the older I got, the more I felt like I needed to have those roots again. And my tolerance suddenly just got less for it, for all the moving. It's a lot of logistics, a lot of time spent in logistics, which I'm sure you <laughs> can feel. Oh, yeah. um, and that became a problem. I didn't mind living out of the suitcase too much, but uh, I wanted a place to like put clothes and hang up clothes and leave my toothbrush out on the counter in the bathroom because the other problem with this is it is a dream lifestyle but you're also the eternal guest normally in people's homes and even that becomes a bit of a grind after years of it because I I always used to say I was a great guest like I was the ultimate guest because I I was a professional guest but you know at some point you just kind of want to like run around in your underwear and put your toothbrush by the sink. (laughs) So there was certainly that. I think the other, the other big reason for me, honestly, was medical. So um, as you well know, with all the changes in insurance in the United States, I was, I had a couple of injuries um, that I was trying to nurse on the road and because I didn't have great insurance and I wasn't always home in my home state where my insurance was, because you have to have a home state, um, I wasn't getting the treatment I needed and it was getting worse. And it was starting to affect my work because I do a lot of adventure stuff. I do a lot of hiking um, and I was I was injured and I couldn't really do that stuff anymore. So I finally decided, you know, I'm, how old was I? I was, um, you know, 48 years old and I need to start thinking about like taking care of my health when things go wrong. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to do this. So that was another big thing too, to get like regular doctors again and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a huge problem Story for digital math. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and just briefly about a little bit about my story was that when I started this uh, full-time about 10 years ago, I, was, uh, I wanted to do anything but have routine. I wanted yep. anything but a routine, and now I long for some routine, and I'm sure you relate, right? Yep. You know, yep. Uh, it's, you, you always want what you don't have. The grass always looks greener. Yep. Sometimes you go to the the other extreme, and, uh, you know, I need to bring it back to the middle a little bit, so 
I, I, yeah. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah, and I also think when you're running a business, it is important to have a bit of routine. You know, it's, I think that's a key. So I can totally understand that. Yeah, and, and running the business, you know, being on different time zones and halfway oh. around the world when the people that you're trying to communicate with are <laughs> back in the U.S. in my case and, uh, you know, being on different time zones and, oh, boy, that's, that can be uh, a little bit of a Even crime. for us to organize this meeting, it was hard. <laughs> exactly, and we were both in, <laughs> a long time. in Europe. Uh, I was in Morocco in Europe at the time that you were in Spain, but we still had yeah. a little trouble. Now I'm back in Chicago. <laughs> you're still in Spain. Yeah, it's, it's always something. Yeah. So like most digital nomads, you make a living from quite a few different sources. Uh, it's my understanding that you barter, trade, and sell your expertise, uh, whether it be photography, which I definitely want to delve into uh, mm -hmm. very soon, uh, social media consulting, writing, volunteering, your house sitting, uh, yeah, or at least were at, at one yeah. point, uh, you know, for, for all of these elements of travel, such as accommodations and meals, experiences, et cetera, uh, just briefly tell us a little bit about how that works in, in your business. Yeah, I mean, it has also evolved incredibly over the decade or so, but where it sits now, I would say I get work or I make a living from, you're right, various sources. So one of the main ones is I work with destinations or tourism boards. Um, and that can be either paid work or non-paid work. Uh, non-paid work looks like, you know, my travel is covered. Um, you know, I don't have to pay any expenses. And, uh, but I'm also not paid anything on top of that. But I'm producing content for my own use, for my own blog. I'm not under any necessary contract to do that, but I do it. Uh, because I want content, because I need readers to still be engaged. Um, then I can work with destinations in paid situations, like what I'm doing now. Uh, and that is normally around a couple different things. You know, once again, the trip is paid for, all my expenses are paid. But then on top of that, I get paid to either produce content for them, very specific content for them, uh, for their channels, or um, also to produce content on my channels, uh, like certain amounts. When, when we start to talk about like X number of blog posts and X number of tweets or Instagram shots or whatever, then we get into normally paid work because then I'm under contract to, to deliver certain things um, by certain times. So, so the destination work can be a little bit of both, and I do a mix of both quite a bit. Uh, I also work with brands. Um, normally sponsored work, either sponsored writing posts on my site, um, or sometimes they've got um, like campaigns that they're running, social media campaigns that I'll go on and participate in. Maybe they have contests that I participate in and stuff like that, that I get paid to do. So some of the brands that I've just recently worked with just this year was um, Corning Glass, Gorilla Glass, uh, Allianz Insurance, Booking.com, Airbnb, KLM. Uh, so it just it's kind of a whole range. Wow. Um, and then I also, to make money, and this is a nice, at least this is a very, what do I want to say? Um, uh, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. But it's, it's something that I, this is my probably most regular money because it's social media consulting on a regular monthly basis for a company that is a wildlife photography company. So I run their social media for a company called Lens Coat. Um, 
don't know if you've heard of them, but they specialize in gear for wildlife photography. Mm-hmm. So they make like rain gear and lens covers and bean bags for wildlife photographers. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is, is I actually got connected to them about five years ago, five and a half years ago, through a trip I was doing in Patagonia, just a, just an accident that I got connected to them. And the owner wrote me and asked if I, if I knew anything about Facebook and if I was interested in helping him with Facebook. And then that kind of just blossomed into now I run all their Facebook and Instagram. So, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but I can do that from anywhere in the world. It's, it's great. So we're always branching out there. I do a bunch of like Facebook marketing for them, um, run contests for them, all that kind of stuff. And we we talk about doing ambassador programs. So it's a nice little, it's different than my everyday stuff, but it's, it also complements it because it's photography. It's also a lot of social media work. So, and then uh, I sell stock photography. I mean, that's probably my other source of income. Um, and we'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but uh, it's just, I'm not on any stock site per se, but I sell stock photography to companies I've worked with, people that I've worked with. It's a lot of networking once again. And, um, and then the only other sources of income really are advertising revenue from my blog and affiliate revenue from my blog. So it's important for me to keep traffic and numbers up on the website because that brings in money. Yeah, so that's it. That's yeah. the secret sauce. That's it. Huh? That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating uh, how complex it can be. Um, but um, let's let's talk about photography and travel photography specifically. Uh, yeah. You, you uh, say that you sell your work for stock, and I do want to talk more about that. But uh, can you describe your approach to travel photography? Hmm. Um. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm not, I, I took a class before I left. So, you know, much of my my knowledge has been gained on the road. Um, I always used to say, and I still say, like, the best thing you can do is practice every day. And that's what you do when you were, tra- you know, when I was initially traveling all the time. So my approach to travel photography is really kind of my approach to travel in general, which is you have to be flexible like super flexible. So when you're traveling and especially like a lot of the travel that I do and work with destinations is on press trips, um, with pretty tight schedules where you're always on the move because they want a combination of writing and social media and photography. Um, so you're always on the move. You don't always have the time, uh, to scope out places for the best time of day or the best spots. So, I think the approach to be a really good travel photographer the way that I'm doing it, you have to be super flexible and you have to learn to work in less than optimal conditions. Like I rarely have projects where I have the time to just really get to know a place and, you know, know where the good photo spots are and be able to get there at the right times and right have the wait until the right weather and all that kind of stuff. That that just doesn't happen. So I mean, so I think that's my approach. I think the other thing is because I was living out of a suitcase for years and maybe would go back to the United States to my storage unit maybe every three to five months, um, you can't bring all your gear with you. So you have to learn how to really work with minimal gear, uh, 
and once again, it's that flexibility. You have to just kind of know that you're not going to have the perfect optimal conditions when you're a travel photographer, at least the way that I do it. So, yeah, uh, it's it's important to be in the right place at the right time, but you can't always be in the right place at the right time. No. Sometimes you're just <laughs> in a place at noon and uh, the, the lighting's horrible. So it's about yep. what you do with that. And so I think that that can be the difference between a good photographer and a great one and uh, trying to make the best of uh, the hand that you're dealt. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is, of course, a podcast about travel photography. And you told us that you you make money from selling your work. Uh, can mm-hmm. you give us some details about how that works? I know many of our listeners would love to make a living selling their images. How did you get started in that? And what kind of advice can you offer to, for our listeners who are considering that income source? Well, I think, you know, how I kind of probably went about it is a little bit unconventional. Um, because, as I said, I do sell stock photography, mainly for digital use, um, lots of times on social media. Uh but I don't do that on a regular stock site. Um, And that's probably, honestly, the best way to go about it. But for me, because I'm juggling all these different things, I don't have time to keep up stock sites. And I don't, I don't always shoot for stock yet. I do, I do think about it quite a bit. Um, But that's not my sole reason for shooting. So for me, I sell stock photography through all my networking. So for example, I do a press trip, or I do a trip that um, let's say I don't get paid for. It's just one where I go out because I'm going to cover it on my on my own site. What I do to wrap up that trip is then I send a note out to the people I've been working with at the end. I send them a small gallery of my images um, and say, you know, here's my rates for stock photography. Uh, and you won't believe it, but that actually does yield a lot of income. <laughs> I've done free trips before, you know, great trips um, that were press trips that were, you know, free, but I didn't get paid, but I ended up selling thousands of dollars worth of photography to them after the fact that I never planned on, mm. but it worked out. So um, there's that. And then there's just, you know, relationships that I've built through the years. I just this year did a big stock sell or this week did a big stock sell that I was never planning on. That was a friend who used to work at a, a different travel company that I had worked with before on some some like social media trips and he is now working in marketing in a different travel company and he came to me because he likes my photography and he wanted to know what I had for certain countries and we did a big sale so you know that's really just that's networking from years ago in some instances it's pitching yourself um, and letting people know that hey you know this is my work and here's how I you know here's the cost and here's how I operate Um, that's really I use my relationships that I have um, to sell stock for the most part. And then I've been on Smug Mug forever too. So occasionally I'll pick up some stuff there uh, just from searches on SEO or people, authors looking for photos for books and stuff like that. I know one of the big questions always comes up is how do you price your photography, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? So, Oh my God, I just uh, had this conversation last week because this came up. (laughs) Yeah, so how how did you come up with the pricing for your photography? Oh, (laughs) jeez. Well, 
<laughs> More art than science, huh? <laughs> yes, definitely. So honestly, I'll, I'll tell you very honestly what I did because it just happened. Um, I'm actually traveling with another photographer now working on this project. So we talked about it a little bit. But um, I do have a pretty standard rate for digital use only. Uh, so I can quote that and then I'll offer volume discounts based on sometimes have I worked with the person before? Or do I know them? How bad do I want this work? Right. So that's the art. Um, but I do kind of have a standard costing, you know, price list or whatever for digital where it becomes difficult, of course, is print. Um, because I still do like to price print differently based on what it's going to be used for and how long they want it and, you know, all that stuff. So quite frankly, I had to, last week, go back out to websites and start to just kind of familiarize myself again, because I don't get that much print work. I get a lot more digital, but um, I had to familiarize myself with like, okay, how do I want to cost this? You know, am I asking all the right questions about, you know, use and position and and whatever, subscriptions and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I got a few ideas of pricing from different stock sites and, then I honestly based it on the fact that, like, I've known this guy forever. You know, I want to continue doing work with him. He's come to me a number of times, so I'm going to give him a good deal. Um, and that's how I approached it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is art. <laughs> that, that sounds like the, a good way. How do you do it? I don't sell a lot of uh, stock photography or, or images. Uh, that, as you know, is another full-time job, and I've already yeah. got three of those <laughs> doing what I do. Um, I, I am building up a very nice portfolio, I think, uh, that yep. eventually I would like to monetize that portfolio. But for right now, I just I can't get my head around spending you know another... 10 or 20 hours a week trying to figure all that out, right? Yeah. yeah. And you actually bring up a good point. I think I've always thought of my photography as something that has a much longer shelf life than, say, my writing, right? So I've always thought that when I, when I slow down <laughs> at some point in life, right, that I can then organize my photos better. I can join stock sites. I can, you know, I can still do that because the the photography does have a long pretty long shelf life um and so i've kind of always pushed it off i would say the other thing that i would just recommend if you want to get into stock and you're doing it the way kind of i'm doing it which is through networking and pitching to people that i already know one of the things i also try to do is before i go on a trip if i know if i've been working with this company or or the destination for a bit and i know them well enough i'll ask them what photo needs they have for their stock library or their stock database. And I'll find out really interesting things such as, you know, I don't know, I think it's this year, Germany is focusing on food. So they were looking for food shots. So now when I go to Germany and do that trip, I have that in mind. I know the kind of shots they're looking for and I shoot more of that. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna sell those to them, but when I send them the gallery at the end of the trip and say, here's my pricing, if you're interested in any, I've got stuff that I know they're looking for. Yeah, that's so that's a big one too. Yeah, that's really smart. Great. Yeah. Um, 
As you know, we like to ask our guests about a particular destination that they are familiar with. Uh, you mentioned that you're currently in Costa Brava and that you've written and photographed a number of ebooks for the Costa Brava Tourism Board. And they're available for free and to download at ebooks.costabrava.org. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, tell us about Costa Brava and why it's a place to which our listeners should consider traveling. What is it about it that you love? Uh, I love it because, remember we talked about kind of being ahead of the curve earlier, mm-hmm. and it's it's something that's very important to me. And so when I first came to Costa Brava, my first reaction was, wow, I never knew this place existed. It is so beautiful. It is like Tuscany, but none of the people, none of the Americans, none of the, you know, tourists. They have a lot of tourism here, but not to the extent to say like Tuscany does. And so I kind of looked at it as this is the next great place that's unknown yet, that's super beautiful, has all these things that it can offer, and people should be coming here. And that, once again, is in alignment with my desire still to get people traveling and show them new places. So that's how I got hooked, I would say. Um, it really does have a little bit of everything. It actually has more than Tuscany because it has medieval towns and these you know, beautiful rolling hills. Um, and the medieval towns, that's what the photo books are about. They're photo walks in five different medieval towns. So that's for photography. It's great practice with like lines and texture. Um, it was a really fun project. I had never done that much photography of these you know, old towns before, but it really pushed me, I would say. Um, you also in the Costa Brava, you have beaches, right? So you have, and they have this really rugged coast. Um, it's where the Pyrenees start. The Pyrenees rise up out of the water and then go along. So you also have the Pyrenees, you've got mountains like snow capped mountains still. Um, so you've got a little bit of everything. It's also incredible food. Some of the best restaurants in the world are here. It's probably got the most Michelin stars outside of Japan, I think, um, for the little region. So, I mean, it's got a little bit of everything, and it's just not that crowded. It feels real and authentic yet, and that's that's why I love it. And for the photography standpoint, the landscapes are just incredible. Um, it, food, photography, anything you want, really. I mean, it has a little bit of everything. Uh, but I really love the towns are the, – the old medieval towns and walls and coasts are just beautiful. <laughs> that sounds like a f- wonderful – part of the world and I only saw a very small part of it when I was there a few years ago yeah. speaking at T-Bex but um, uh, so when what is your approach to travel photography when it comes to photographing something as specific as a medieval town can you give us uh, an idea of how, how you, what your mindset is when you're looking to do that it's always you know I suppose uh, f- for the medieval towns it was really about kind of a documentary, right? Like a photo documentary of this town. And so with documentaries, it does need to tell still some some sort of a story. And so for me, that always means, you know, the nice sweeping wide shots, but then the tiny little details that you kind of, that you, you know are there, but lots of people don't think about photographing them. So it's really getting people to see details and texture. Like I said, you've got all these, you know, rocks and stones that are from hundreds and hundreds of years ago and you know how can you use that texture in the photographs so for me it was always kind of coming in to the town I mean before we had 
kind of figured out what we were going to photograph exactly because we we created these walks um, of what where how to get around and all that but we'd get into a town that we had never been in before and we would just walk around it for the first hour or two and try to get kind of see the spots um, and then go back and and start to get the details um, and you know overall picture of the place and it was interesting because I was working with another photographer at the time and I don't think we realized this at the time but we had two very different styles um, which worked out really well for the book <laughs> he was great at, at these beautiful landscape and you know big sweeping shots and I was always in the details um, you know so it it ended up working really well like I'd focus on the rusty little textured lock that was on a door um, you know and he'd have the whole grand wall or something <laughs> so um, that's how I approach it I would say um, and once again we we did have a little control over light and time of day that we went uh, more than I normally do because we were here for a month working on that project. So that was nice. It was a, something I normally don't always get. Well, that was my next question is about how long <laughs> did you have in each of these towns to, to properly photograph it or photograph it as well as you could? Yeah, we, we were here for one month. We had five towns, one of which was Girona, which I'm in now. And within Girona, we did five books alone. So, or five different topics. Uh, we did a Game of Thrones book because it was filmed here that season. We did a markets book. We did a parks. We did the medieval walls. So we, we did different, different things. I would say on average, we went to each town and spent like full days there twice at least sometimes more sometimes we'd go back at night and shoot if there was a particular night shots that we wanted um but we'd always have to at least go twice like for example one of the towns we went to the first time it was pouring rain and it was a sunday and sunday in spain no one is out didn't help that it was raining i mean in fact we were both pretty dejected when we first went to the town because we're like oh my god this town is is boring like, what are we going to shoot? There's nothing here. It's like a ghost town. And granted, it wasn't the best weather. So we were both kind of dreading it. But we planned another trip back for a day. It happened to be a beautiful day. And strangely, we had such a great day shooting. And we discovered all these parts of town that we didn't know. And people were out. And they were nice. And it ended up being the favorite town that we shot. <laughs> so sometimes you just need to give it a second chance and and kind of get caught up. Like, I felt super inspired there the second time like just different perspectives it made you work really hard um but a lot of different perspectives a lot of stuff you know that's the other thing is always getting down really low um you know you get a whole different look of a town on the ground <laughs> so so yeah. so some of your tips would be, then be looking deeper into the details Yep. Uh, getting a lower perspective on a place. Uh, do you have a couple other uh, really good tips uh, for people? Think, think about it as a story. So sure. do think about, you know, making sure that you're getting all kinds of different aspects of things, um, which also means I also try to get some people in there when I can. Um, these books, it wasn't as important, but I still think it's an important part of the story. Uh, other tips... But, well, back to the people, like, I do think it's important for perspective lots of times of these buildings. And I don't like a lot of people, but just like that, wait. Sometimes you just have to be super patient and wait for that one person to walk by that old door. 
you know, to make the shot. And hey, if they're wearing a red shirt, even better. <laughs> you don't have control over that, but you can wait and, and wait it out for a while and see what you can get. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I know a lot of times people, uh, sometimes on my trips or that I photographed otherwise with, they, uh, you know, someone walks into the scene and they're, they're waiting until that person gets out of the scene. <laughs> yep. And to me, they, you know, they're a local, they're dressed in the traditional wear, maybe it's red. And it's like, oh my mm -hmm. God, that that's what I've been waiting for, not for them to get out of the picture, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do a lot of um, hiking photography, and that's one of my big things is like, it's beautiful to shoot mountains and trails, but in order to get any kind of perspective on how big those things are or how steep, you know, they are, you need people in it. Yeah. You have to have people in it. You got to have that <laughs> sense of scale. And yeah. to me, that's the viewer then starts thinking, boy, how'd that person get there? What are they doing there? Yeah. How can I get there? You know, I yep. want to be a part of that scene. I think it's so important. Yeah. Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, uh, anything else you'd like to add? You, do you what? Uh, tell us what's coming up on your travel schedule. Do you have any uh, events coming up or speaking engagements? <laughs> well, it's funny because you know we talked about TVEX and I said to you earlier that I actually that was the last TVEX I was at was the one where you and I met, which was what like three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I actually I am going to be speaking at TVEX again finally this year in North America. It's in uh, Finger Lakes, New York. Mm. So I'll be there speaking um, about how to work with brands, okay. mainly. Wonderful. Um, so I'm doing that. I guess that's in September. Um, as far as some travel coming up, after I, I'm doing a bike trip after this also in Spain starting next week. And then a hiking trip in Norway, which Ooh. I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, and this summer, my big trip is uh, I'm going to India. And I've been to India a number of times before. It's one of my favorite places to photograph, for sure. But I'm going to India with my youngest niece. So I have a project that I've been doing for years now where I call it the niece project. I have six nieces, no nephews, just six nieces. And I don't have any kids of my own, um, which is fine. But I, I wanted to be able to build relationships with them. So... I told each of them when they turned 16, they could choose anywhere in the world they wanted to go, and I've been taking them. And so I write about it, and it's kind of been this whole ongoing series really geared towards women like myself that, you know, are single, or men that are single that, you know, want to build, you know, deeper relationships with their nieces or nephews. Um, so this is my last niece out of the six, which is kind of, it's I'm actually already slightly sad. Um, but uh, she chose India for her place, and so we're going for about two and a half weeks in the dead of summer. It's oh. going to be hotter now. <laughs> I know, but I've got to do it when they're out of school. Yeah, so of this was our only time. So it'll be her first trip out of the country too, and that and she chose India. So wow. <laughs> great. So that sounds but, like a great uh, project. What a great thing. Yeah, yeah, first time I went fun. to India was June of 2011. Oh. It was 122 degrees. But I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, you talk about photography and by far, um, it is my favorite place to photograph people Yeah. by far. I mean, the people are just so eager to be photographed and the way that they stare into the mm. camera, like it's a being, it's just haunting to me. It's beautiful photography. Yeah. And these wonderful faces with 
colorful outfits against just amazing backgrounds. It's yeah. doesn't, doesn't get much better than that. And and they're very open to being photographed, which is yes. a huge help for us, right? <laughs> yeah. It's an easy place to start street photography, I'd say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, most of the time, as I recall, people were running up to me asking me, like, take my picture, take my picture. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and I love how they, uh, you'll, you'll be standing there, and then all of a sudden someone just kind of sidles up to you, and <laughs> you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then you realize that someone's taking a picture of you and them. <laughs> Because they, they want nothing more than to take photographs with us, right? Yes, exactly. And so imagine me this on this trip because I'm going to have a 16-year-old cute blonde oh, girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, it'll, be, it'll be great. It's going to be – that's going to be my, my biggest fun of the summer, I think, just because it's going to be such a fun trip to do with her. Yeah, so. oh, that's fantastic. And then you – did you mention uh, Portugal as well? Oh, yeah. I am heading to Portugal. I'm actually – then I have another stint in Europe in the in the fall, um, Italy, and I'm doing a hiking tour and I'll call it a photo workshop in a way uh, in Ireland that I'm hosting as a Ots World tour. Mm. Um, uh, it did fill up, so I'm super excited about that, and I'm going to just try it out and see how it goes, and maybe I'll offer more, hopefully. And then after that, I head to Portugal for the first time, so I have to get tips from you. Yeah, that's that's hard to believe. It it took me forever to get there myself, and so uh, here you are having traveled all over the world for twelve years full time, and you never got to Portugal. I know, crazy. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place. I just got back from scouting there myself. I fell in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, where can our listeners find out more about you online? Oh, that's easy. At the blog, first of all, um, otsworld.com, O-T-T-S-W-O-R-L-D.com. Um, that's where all the writing is and a lot of photography. Um, and then on social media, I'm basically on all the major, major channels, I guess, as otsworld, at otsworld. Um, so it's pretty simple. That's where you can find me. Great. And we'll certainly put links to all of that in the show notes. Well, Sherry, I can't thank you enough for uh, spending some time with us and uh, telling us about your amazing life. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> that very much. Well, thank you for having me. This is super fun. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Great to catch up with you. Thanks. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And remember, you can follow me on all the social media platforms, both at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco. And be sure to visit our website at photoenrichment.com to see about our upcoming tours and other announcements. Uh, Very quickly, my Copper Canyon trip this August is about to sell out, but I do have one or two spots left. Uh, So if you have an interest, please visit the site. Also, our India, Cambodia, and Vietnam trips have some spaces available, so feel free to email me with any questions at all and to receive additional information. Don't forget, if you join my mailing list at photoenrichment.com, you'll receive a free e-version of my 101 Photography Tips e-book, and that's over 150 pages. Uh, Finally, if you're interested in organizing and leading your own tours, please visit tourorganizertraining.com, and you can register for our next free webinar. Uh, and other information is available at that link. To find out more about Ugo and to follow him on the social media network, simply Google him or go to ucphoto.me. Finally, 
be sure to put in a review of the show and the app, uh, My Shot List for Travel, and uh, do that online at iTunes. Uh, This, of course, helps us to be found by others. And remember, if you keep at it, you can't get worse at photography. Now let's get out and shoot.